we are in the market for a presenting sponsor for this program that does attract a lot of attention from the gambling industry in Canada every week. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Gaming News Canada show. It's a somewhat snowy Thursday afternoon, January 18th, and I'm your host, Steve McAllister. Today, Mitch Davidson, the Chief of Staff from iGaming Ontario, will be with us to discuss the latest market performance report, which was released yesterday by iGo. And it's a good news story for the province's sports betting and iGaming industry. Chris Savitt is in sickbay this week, but Amanda Brewer and Phil Gray are here to give their thoughts and layers on the report and also get into the impact of online gaming on the market here in Ontario. Eric Hurd of A2Z Ventures and Parley Media Group boss Mark Silver will be with us a little bit later to give their respective perspectives on the pending deal between Amazon and Diamond Sports Group, the owners of the Valley Sport Networks in the United States, and we'll also talk to Eric and Mark about uh, Eric Ayers uh, Baden's departure from Barstool Sports earlier this week. And finally, we're going to also get Phil Gray to provide us with a tip or two on this weekend's NFL division around playoffs. But first, we welcome back to the show uh, Mitch Davidson. And Mitch, um, as we expected this week, I go released its um, third quarter report for the uh, fiscal year 2023-24 yesterday. And um, I have to believe that there were probably some high high fives both around the office and, and virtually yesterday with, with the numbers that were released. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's getting to be a bit of a trend for us coming on the show and saying, hey, look, it's it's been good news yet again. But uh, this is by far our best quarter uh, so far in our almost two years of market existence. You know, we, we saw uh, just over $17 billion in total wagers and, and some $658 million in gross gaming revenue. So those are both uh, significant upgrades, about 22% growth in gaming revenue quarter over quarter. And, and if you go back year over year, which part of the explanation is we had a few fewer operators at that time. But if you go back year over year, you're looking at you know 45 to 50% um, year over year growth in both wagers and, and gaming revenue. So it's it's certainly strong, uh, strong performance, aided in part by a, a pretty healthy sports calendar, but um, definitely good news for us, good news for operators, good news for the province, for sure. Yeah, and as we've seen, Mitch, uh, you know, the market hasn't yet, I guess, got reached its height. Uh, Lucky Casinos come on board, and, and I think this week announced that they're now up and operating in, in Ontario. And, and you mentioned uh, the busy fall sports calendar, and uh, as we referenced in the newsletter today, yeah, obviously the the start of the uh, of the NFL and NBA and NHL regular seasons. Obviously, we had the the baseball playoffs and the World Series and U.S. college football and the CFL as right. And we'll get a little bit deeper in this a little bit later in the show. But yeah, again, we're seeing from from the numbers that you put out in the report just the strength of eye gaming in, in this regulated industry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's definitely part of the story for us. Is it's it's an attractive market. It's it's still growing, both organically from players who are, uh, you know, becoming more familiar with products, maybe spending more uh, their entertainment dollars on this. But it's also growing from conversion and channelization from the illegal market, right? So, uh, last year we released a survey um, by Ipsos in conjunction with the AGCO that showed that. You know, some 85% of Ontario players had played on a regulated site, but that still means that 15% of players were not playing on regulated sites. And so even just converting those players over to the legal avenues where we have better player protections, AML responsibilities, better RG and responsible gambling tools in place, we're going to see revenues and wager totals increase just by doing that kind of thing. So 
our operators are constantly working on creating a more attractive product, creating a more competitive product. And I think we're starting to sort of bear the fruits from that that labor and the hard work that they've put in. And it really is a, is a performance upgrade, whether you look at casino, sports betting, or peer-to-peer poker, to be honest, all three categories have seen increases. And um, we're pretty proud of that for sure and, and hope to see that trend continue. If not, um, we probably won't see 45, 50% year-over-year growth um, every year because obviously we've got a lot of companies coming on board between year one and year two, but we will likely, uh, we hope to see at least stability, if not continued growth into the quarters into the future. Hey, Mitch, I just want to go back to 2021 for a second, because as, as we also wrote in the newsletter, um, you know, state U.S. states right now, like New York and Illinois, and the, there are others that are elected officials that are pushing really hard to, to have iGaming added as uh, as a, to, to the regulatory environment with, with sports betting in those states. And we see what a difficult process that, that has been. And there's, I guess, all, a whole bunch of complexities with legislation and the way the way the different states uh, states operate, and are there any conversations or, or just you know thought when you guys were setting up the market back in 2021 and getting ready to open in April 2022, uh, just how important that iGaming piece was going to be to operators coming into the province? Yeah, it's it, it's a great point. You know, I always say, and and credit to those. You know, I I wasn't necessarily at iGo at the time, and and I think we also have to give some credit to you know, government policy and decision makers in this case, who are really the ones making some of those decisions. But I kind of always say that um, the pre-2022 decisions were about building a proper foundation. So not not just the idea of legalizing online casino betting in addition, or casino play in addition to sports betting, which when you look at our numbers, casino is driving the majority of wagers and the majority of revenue, but it also makes sure that it's an attractive product. If you wanted to play online casino, and we didn't have it, you'd have to go to the illegal market to do so. And then you're probably placing sports wagers there too. So it allows for a better capture by having all the products, but the other items related to a competitive tax rate, no cap on licenses, you know, these are the types of things that some U S states and jurisdictions have chosen to go in other directions. And, and we're seeing, you know, 49 operators, almost 75 gaming sites. It's one of the most, if it's the most competitive market in North America, it's one of the most competitive markets in the world. And, that is because the foundation of those policy choices that were made were made correctly. And now it's about us getting everything else right to sort of, as I say, build the house on top of that foundation. So things like making sure we've got the, you know, right interactions with operators, the regulatory burdens are, are, you know, the proper balance that they need to be in those sorts of things. So uh, certainly uh, I think the legalization of casino play was really a, a key factor in creating a strong market and creating a strong market so quickly uh, into um, regulation. When we spoke at the Canadian Gaming Summit last year, De- Deloitte had just come out with the economic development report and, and pointed to the uh, to the economic benefits that the, this new industry created for the province. And when we sit here today, I think we're looking at north of a half billion dollars in, in tax revenue for the Ontario government. Uh, we're also looking at HST payments to, to the federal government. Uh, so that that's also an, an important piece of this whole puzzle as well. Yeah, like really, really glad you brought it up because, you know, last year in, in our first full year of operations, you know, we did our our end of day dividend to the province was, I, I believe, somewhere around the, the tune of ninety six million dollars. But we also paid some one hundred and thirty three million dollars in HST, of which 
the federal government keeps a portion of that and a portion of that comes back to the province. So, you know, you put those two numbers together and you're talking last year it was over a quarter billion of tax revenue generated directly from uh, the or shouldn't say tax revenue, but total revenue for for provincial and federal coffers generated directly from this play. That doesn't count tax revenue from employees and advertising and any of those other sort of indirect um, contributions. And, and given that, you know, in these three quarters of this year for us of operations, we've already surpassed the entire <laughs> uh, the entire GGR and total wager totals of last year, you know, those numbers are going to be even higher. So as you pointed out, over half a billion dollars in the types of contributions we've made to governments, not just in Ontario, but across the country via the federal government, you know, it really is something that is that is helping out um, people all across the country and all across the province. And uh, to your point about the Deloitte report, we actually have commissioned them to do a follow up for year two because we had in the back of our minds the idea that perhaps this market hadn't reached full maturity yet and we'd have a better understanding in year two than year one. So we're working on that right now and we'll have an update in the near future to, to update those numbers and see if they, they actually are contributing more in terms of jobs, GDP, tax revenue than we even put on the table uh, at the Canadian Gaming Summit last year. Hey Mitch, last uh, last question. I mean, we look at uh, like twenty twenty four has really come in like a line for the industry. I mean, if you if uh, you just read the people on the move and the, the classified job information sections of the newsletter the last uh, since we came back from our, our holiday season break, I mean, it's it's going. It's a an industry that's going uh, you know two hundred kilometers an hour. It feels like right now. What what's kind of on the front burner for I for I go as we kind of look at the next the next two to three months? Yeah, I mean. We we want to be a partner in that. We want to help them. You know, if they want to innovate, they want to be competitive. They want to like get to the front of the line when it comes to new technologies, those sorts of things. I mean, part of that is for us. We have to be able to adapt quickly and work with them quickly on these new items. And so, definitely doing that. Still open to the conversation of onboarding new operators. Obviously, we've got quite a few already, but there are still, to your point, like Lucky coming in uh, to the market. In in immediate terms, uh, we've got the Ice Gaming Conference in London uh, that's coming up in. Uh, just just under a month, the minister is uh, our attorney general is going with us. So, you know, exciting to have that kind of um, attention paid to the industry. And then, uh, of course, we've got April 4th, 2024 coming up, which will be our two year anniversary and really give us an opportunity to look back at, at not just how the market has been performing, because each of our quarterly reports have kind of been captures of what it's been, um, but to make some some inferences about um, the the totality of the market, what player behavior looks like, you know, which sports are popular, all those types of things that allow us to just kind of do a bit of an exercise looking back with with a real data set instead of just, you know, three months or six months of operations. We can we can make some real trends. But it's it's to say that um, the market's healthy, the market's stable, the market's strong, it's continuing to grow. Um, and we really are excited about providing options and choice for Ontario players. You know, they've got um, especially when you add in OLG as well, you know, Vixio said we were the sixth largest market in the world. That was before these numbers. So we're trending up and players have more choice than they've ever had before. And, you know, we've got 1.2 million active player accounts in the last three months. It's a large swath of the population that's participating. And we just want to make sure that our operators are able to keep up with the demand that they're seeing and um, create new products and do all the things that'll set them apart. So you know, it's a really exciting time for us, but it's it's uh, it would be a lie if I said, you know, we're, we're just going to sit on our hands and be happy with the numbers. There's still a lot of work to do to make sure that it can be competitive moving forward for uh, for not just the next quarter, but for years to come. 
Mitch Davidson is the chief of staff for iGaming Ontario. Mitch, always uh, appreciate your time and, and thanks for joining us back on the Gaming News Canada show. Yeah, not a problem, Steve. Always happy to join. Thanks for this. Thanks, Mitch. Let's get Amanda Brewer in here. Wanted to get your quick thoughts just on the report yesterday. I don't think it probably the report comes as a huge surprise given the time of the fall sports calendar that we mentioned. And we'd also seen in the previous report from IGO just the, the rise in, in terms of iGaming, iGaming revenue. But lo- love to get your thoughts. Yeah, I thought, congratulations. I think this is finally a very true indication of the strength of the market. Um, I am also a little bit uh, cautious in terms of uh, further growth. I know there are more operators who are looking to come in. Um, I I also think there'll be some leveling off of the market as it normalizes this year. So I think it's both a great indication of what Ontario's potential is. um, And I also think we'll see some... uh, you know, some some changing up of, of who's in and who's out. Ontario will always be a really attractive destination because of the opportunity to do uh, a very offer a very fulsome range of products: the sports betting, the eye gaming, the DFS. If if we can ever get international liquidity back on the table, um, but uh, esports as well. But uh, I think you know it, it's always with sort of a little bit of a, a, a caution to that. You know, it's competitive, it's expensive. Um, and I think it's going to be for any operators coming in this late in the game, a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. Hey, man, I wanted to get you uh, uh, on the iGaming piece in a second here, but I did want to talk to Phil Gray and, and Phil just for the for the sports junkies and sports betting junkies. I mean, it, it, Q, uh, well, well, I go as Q3, but I guess for most of us, Q4, is that October to December? Is that is that the busiest time of the year for sports bettors? Actually, starts in uh, late August. Uh, NFL preseason kicks in, Steve, and, uh, and then the, the last weekend of August, uh, NCAA football comes in. So we're really talking, you know, to the end of March Madness. Uh, late August to the end of uh, March Madness is uh, that's we call it the, we call it the witching hour every day. Uh, you know, Saturdays NCAA when uh, when basketball kicks in. You know, there's there's upwards of 300 games on the board on Saturdays. Then you have weeknights as well too, with college basketball kicking in November. You know, 80 to 90 games. Uh, every other major sport running uh, in the fall. You've got you know the, all the European soccer uh, starts up as well. So yeah, you've got you know about seven months there where I you know we just don't stop. Hey Phil, the other piece on it with regards to the NFL, like how you know how does it do the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl compare with the amount of betting activity that takes place during the regular season? Oh, huge, Steve. And it's a great acquisition time for the books as well. That's why you'll start to see a lot more promos and bonus offers as well. Because you have some of the casual bettors that come in in the NFL playoffs. You know, somebody who's, you know, really, you know, hasn't bet before, but, you know, they like their team. You know, everybody has their favorite team. And, you know, with the awareness now and the expansion of the market in North America, uh, you know, people, you know, they want to watch the game. They go, wow, I can bet on that on my computer? Wow, how do I do that? So, you know, it's a, it's a great time for the books uh, to, to acquire new players. Yeah, man, we, we dedicated a section in the newsletter today just to the iGaming sector in Ontario in particular. And that was kind of based on, yeah, as I mentioned out the top, Lucky Casino coming into the market the last, last couple of weeks. Uh, Stake Logic and Roots announced a partnership uh, a week or so ago. Um, Justin Park, the co-founder and CEO of Betty, did a did a Q and A for Houlihan Loki's CEO Spotlight series recently, and talked about the success that Betty has had in the Ontario market. And 
the other thing uh, that got me thinking about this was Adam Greenblatt, the uh, CEO of BetMGM, talking about the iGaming market here when when talking to uh, analysts back before uh, before Christmas. Just you know, you you're someone who's been around for a long time in this market, but were were you involved in any of those conversations back in 2021 about how important um, iGaming was going to be to this regulated market and and maybe give us some insight into those conversations that they happened. Yeah, it's a, it's still an interesting topic when you compare Ontario's launch with, you know, how hard it is for some states to get casino on the table, online casino on the table. Um, I think, you know, it, it's always worth remembering Can Ontario, all of Canada was, it was a gray market prior to regulation and the government was very aware that operators were in here offering both sides, the sports and the casino um, on their websites. So, you know, Tom Mungham, when he was still CEO and his senior staff, very sagely realized that to prohibit casino, um, to not allow operators to come in and offer the slots and the and the table games was really just going to make the black market all that more attractive. So, you know, once you've given someone a taste of something and they really, really, really enjoy it, um, you know, how do you take it away from them and expect them not to go and find it somewhere else? So they knew that you know, making the market as open as possible with as many products and services legalized and regulated as possible was the key to making sure that their channelization rate was going to be as high as possible. And that is something that, you know, you've spoken to Troy Ross and Paul Burns, those early days of those conversations, that was one of the things they really impressed on government um, was the need to pay attention to the channelization rate and the more restrictions you place, whether that be a really high tax rate or limiting the number of operators coming in or restricting the types of products they could offer, the lower the tax or the channelization rate was going to be. So it was certainly something that government AGCO uh, were keenly aware of. Um, and it was something that it didn't take a lot of persuasion. Because uh, again, you're starting with a very mature gaming market that's unregulated already within your province. So what is the best way to get as many of those operators into compliance? It's not to start removing products from them. I think it also speaks to the man, and again, this is something you've mentioned many times on the show that uh, that this market is diverse and there are companies like Betty that uh, are gonna lean very heavily into to iGaming and there are gonna be others that, you know, FanDuel and, and DraftKings and Bet99, that others are going to kind of uh, lean heavily on the sports betting side, at least from a promotional standpoint. And I guess I get, I think that's probably the beauty of the market here is that you, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to com compete in the sports betting category. Yeah, Ontario has been a casino first market since the day it launched, and I don't really see that changing. We've talked about how sports is the sexy side of things; sports gets all the attention all the negative newspaper articles were about the sports betting ads. Um, but it's really the casinos, uh, the casino side of things that is, is the moneymaker for the province. So I think it's really great because there's a lot more opportunity for operators to be innovative with casino products. Um, and certainly for some of those challenger brands that are coming in that are really tiny, they may have a, a product that no one else has right now, um, which could allow them to stand out. So 
Yeah, I see that. I see that as being a really nice thing. But you know, I know just from my Unibet days operating in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, one state was very much slot focused. The other state was very much table games focused. So even within the casino side of things, you can have really great um, differentiation between the types of products that your customers want to play. Yeah, man, are, are there one or two common themes while it's been so difficult for states to to get uh, i to get iGaming regulated? Uh, it's a really good question. I have to admit, I'm not paying close enough attention to those conversations. I think that's a good question for Jessica Wellman, uh, if you're talking to her. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know why it would be because certainly they can look at not just Ontario, but other states, um, other tier one jurisdictions around the world that all have all legalized the casino side of, of online gaming. And it's really been to their success. Hey, Phil, I want to get your thoughts here, too, because obviously, you know, you spent 20 plus years as, as a, a trader with Sports Interaction, but you were certainly involved in, in the entire business and just your perspective on, on what iGaming, the, the importance or the place it has with, with those operators. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, the, for every dollar we'll take in the sports book, we'll take $4 in the casino. And uh, it, that's the same with um, every book across the board. I'm starting to work, you know, with now with um, a, a few firms in the United States and uh, understanding, I think, one of the the barriers in uh, the United States to, to a lot of the iGaming question is bureaucracy, Steve. Um, you're, you're dealing with, you know, legislators and, uh, and um, you know, some of them take it on as almost a political um Boy, for for lack of a better word, and I think that's some of the difficulties in the states with, with 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 getting licensed in 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 different jurisdictions. You're you're starting to see the same thing now with daily fantasy sports. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, companies there that are um, start startups and uh, or have been operating for a while, and now they're you know they're facing a, a backlash from FanDuel and uh, and a couple others that are going to legislators and and getting um, you know getting an ear. And uh, it's, yeah, the, the bureaucracy is just, uh, it's, uh, it's been interesting to uh, go through. Yeah, man, and before we move, uh, move on to another topic, just any, any additional thoughts on the, on the IGO report, anything that caught your eye or anything that you kind of look, uh, look ahead to for the next quarter? Well, I think uh, knowing that, you know, it sounds like Mitch, uh, the Mr. Downey, Martha Otten, myself, and a whole bunch of others will be on a plane in three weeks heading over to ICE. Um, I'm happy to uh, kind of talk to some operators while I'm over there and also just to listen to what the chatter is about Ontario. It'll be interesting to hear if there are, you know, some approaching, knowing that the regulator is over there to talk about what it takes to come into the market. Um, that will certainly give a good sense. But I think the thing to remember, too, is a lot of players hold more than one account. Um, so for any operators that are coming out, like my former employer, um, it doesn't necessarily mean anything's going to happen with the, the the GGR or the revenue that the province is getting um, because the players will just reallocate themselves with the remaining operators in the market. So I don't think operators coming in and out are necessarily going to be changing, uh, you know, too much to, or too, too, too severe a degree, the amount of revenue. Um, but, you know, the kind of, the hope is that at some point in time, you know, there's just some breathing space for some operators because coming in at this point, knowing that you've got the big U.S. guys here with really deep pockets and the ability to spend sort of on things that smaller operators, even mid-sized operators could only dream of, 
um, the hope is that there might be some, you know, room, room to room to breathe, room to grow um, if the playing field isn't quite as crowded as it is right now. Yeah, I'll be having Giants as well, um, Amanda and Stephen. And, and I, I must say, I've been to a, a number of them over the years, and the chatter ahead of this one um, this year is uh, is is really quite heightened. It should be a great show for anybody that's in the industry. It's also the last one in London before it moves to Barcelona. But uh, tons of tons of talk about ice this year that I haven't seen for a number of years. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, I'm sure the question will come up as it did last year on on what other provinces besides Ontario are going to uh, follow suit. And uh, I think we all know that's a bit of a mugs uh, a mugs game at this point. Yeah, I'll just wrap up. Uh, but it's you know, Dave Briggs has a real good article today that takes a bit of a higher level look at the the market in Ontario so far and. Dave points out that the government's, uh, the provincial government's received about $630 million in tax revenue so far. And I'll just, uh, you know, say once again that it's, I think it does the industry a bit of a disservice that, that the province um, either hasn't uh, been transparent in how that money's being spent or they, or, they, uh, or they don't have a strategy for spending that money. Because I think there are several uh, areas related to the industry where that where that money could be spent whether it's uh, responsible gambling or, or mental health education or or again just doing some doing some good things on, on healthcare, which is such a hot button issue for ontarians right now a word from our sponsor hey there sports fans are you looking for fresh and fun takes on the hottest topics in canadian sports well we've got just what you need introducing homestand sports today your go-to daily sports newsletter, bringing you the Canadian angle on the hottest NHL, NBA, footy stories, and more right to your inbox. But wait, there's more. Homestand Sports isn't just another text-heavy newsletter. Every story has its own video featuring our talented hosts like me, Albert Vartanian, giving you a newsletter experience like never before. And did I mention it's a free subscription? Subscribe now at homestand.ca. Now back to the show. I do want to get Eric Hurd from A2Z Ventures in here and, and Mark Silver as well from Parlay Media Group because I think it was Tuesday or, or Wednesday um, we saw a Twitter video from uh, Erica Ayers-Baden confirming that she's exiting uh, Barstool Sports as Chief Executive Officer after uh, almost an eight-year eight, uh, eight year run. And Eric, maybe I'll just start with you and, and what, uh, you know, for Canadians, they might not be quite so familiar with Erica, but in terms of the American sports media and sports betting landscape, Eric has certainly been a, a high-profile person, uh, especially since 2018. Just some initial thoughts on, on the news this week. Yeah. Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I It totally makes sense. Her, her, you know, her background, she was a, a known entity, I'd say, in, in – in big digital media, she was, you know, CMO at AOL. Um, what was it, like 2013, something like that. Um, but, but her, her reign there proved to be nothing but successful. Like she, she over delivered, I think in, in every metric you can imagine under what nobody would uh, debate was a, a challenging environment. I can imagine all the scenarios that go th goes through her head, Portnoy's head, of how to play this next era for them, and it just it just makes sense, you know. Like what what else could she have brought to bear and, and put on the table? Um, you know, you you do often see, uh, you know, when a large 
when a large company buys, you know, a, a a media company, sometimes it does turn back around and the original founders go and buy it. You don't see the one dollar move here. Um, and, and I would I would imagine for for her, it would be really hard to uh, keep your level of energy as high as it would need to be to to reinvigorate that ship. So makes complete sense. And she deserves a ton of credit for what she was able to deliver over there. Uh, Mark. Yeah, Eric, thanks for teeing it up. Listen, I, I think you said it well. We, we, maybe we don't have as much of an exposure to Barstool in Canada as you do in the United States. A lot of that has to do with the score acquisition, which was the, the crown jewel in what Penn acquired in its, uh, in its journey to become a, an iGaming operator. But Erica seemed to be the right CEO at the right time for, for Barstool. Definitely allowed for Dave Portnoy to go in the background and make the company more friendly to Wall Street as was validated by you know two rounds of of pen investment, but when we look at you know, why pen walked away from Barstool in favor of ESPN, and, we, and we've covered this in the past. You know, I think it comes back to something that we don't talk a lot about on this show, but the concept that shock jock content, which is entertaining and amazing, and I'm not saying everyone doesn't enjoy it, but how does that convert into betting handle? And that's kind of the underlying piece here, which we we, we know it didn't, and we've already heard early on about some of the challenges with much higher quality content that ESPN has and its own struggles to uh, to compete in some highly competitive markets. But the other part, and I think Steve and Eric, you might have some opinions here too. The other part, you know, without Penn pouring money into a money losing business that had all these fun initiatives like broadcasting college football games and other events, but without all that fun stuff, like why would Erica hang around? She is Amazing. Steve and I had the chance, maybe Eric, you were there too, in Las Vegas at uh, a couple of years ago at GDE. We had the chance to see her speak. She's a phenomenal leader. And if I was her, I'd be trying to find the next kind of rocket ship to get on at the ground level to take it where she was able to take Barstool. Yeah, that's a great segue, Mark. And uh, just, Eric, I was going to ask you anyway, I mean, what, it's such a fractured and, and such, you know, I guess, Dysfunctional maybe is too strong a word, but it certainly is a strange time for the media industry in North America. What could the next move be for someone with Erica's credentials? Uh, if, you, if you look at the boards she sits on, uh, you know, the, the world is her oyster, candidly. She took a situation in which, obviously, the churning group who invested, you know, in it several years ago and, and ultimately made the decision to bring her on with Portnoy's support they clearly saw something, but to operationalize and and create a super profitable enterprise out of it is extremely difficult in this environment. And anybody who knows the narrative and has seen the story and, and seen the output and needs leadership like that will be interested in her. She is very, very marketable. And the fact that she was a CMO before her CEO stint uh, doesn't hurt either. I don't know her well personally, but I can tell you if if there are oppor- more opportunities in sports that involve building and reinvigorating, she could have it. Um, and, and I think I, I think it's a really interesting time in that um, this is a bit of a segue, but but you'll get it, especially given the the gaming comp. Um, one one trend I think you're 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 seeing it's you're certainly seeing it on the gaming side. And I think you're going to see it more and more in other verticals. 
digital publishers, digital media companies have generally stayed away. Sports media companies, that is, have generally stayed away from affiliate marketing or performance marketing revenue streams. They're scary unless you know what you're doing. Affiliate marketers in, in, in betting and gaming know what they're doing. Um, and, and general sports media has stayed away from that because it's just it, nothing is guaranteed. And she was able to build a merchandising business and, and uh, subscription businesses alongside CPM and sponsorship-based media programs that I think, I don't want to say revolutionized, everybody knew the possibility was there, but uh, she made, at, at, from the perspective of, as a, of an operator and as an advisor, when I look at what she did, what she actually did is she made it okay for sports media companies to consider other revenue streams outside of advertising. And she showed that it's possible. So I think you're going to see in other verticals, the smarter sports media and general media companies in the digital space are going to start considering uh, how to leverage the subscription economy, how to leverage uh, e-commerce in ways that, you know, will will make Shopify way more profitable and, and the like. And I think she is responsible for proving the case, at least in sports. And, and I think that's helpful, especially in the gaming community, um, as every operator looks to benefit from the, the audience that these uh, media companies reach. Uh, before I go back to Mark, hey, Amanda, I just want to ask you, and again, this might be an unfair question, and, and if it is, we'll, we'll edit it out of the podcast. But I just wonder, again, was Barstool, the Barstool-Pen relationship, I guess, Pen slash the score relationship, was that something that got talked a lot about in in, the, in your circles, or did the people, did people really, you know, they, they didn't really care about that relationship, or any thoughts on that? Uh, pen being sort of culturally not something that you would have experienced to date, um, you know, just really the brashness, the sexism, the misogyny, and all the stuff that went with that. Um, I think it raised a couple of eyebrows because if you know the Levies at the score, this is not something that would necessarily have looked like a, you know, like a, a good mesh with their brand or, you know, being part of the same, you know, company. Um, but because the brand didn't enter into Ontario, they didn't seek their own license that Penn came in with the score. It was something that, that was just kind of, you know, talked about and gossiped about, you know, and then it was, you know, everyone moved on and forgot about it. But I think it was just kind of wondering if Barstool was going to come in and get a license, how that brand would have landed in Ontario. Because, you know, you look at just, you know, what Portnoy was was sort of trying to do with it. And, you know, it, you, you don't have too many other examples like that right now here in, in, in Canada or in Ontario. Hey, Mark, you'll probably have some thoughts on that. But I also want to ask you... Um, you know, given what what Barstool's brand is and and what they're doing, I mean, is there is there a long term shelf life with with the Barstool sports business, or or do you see it trying trying to evolve at some point to to survive? And, and again, I think Amanda raised some good points, and I, I know this is something you and I have talked about before. Yeah, I think there's some precedents out there, Steve, for companies that have had to pivot for one reason or another. I, I think one that comes to mind 
and uh, their their brands, their shows may be more popular than the name of the company. But there's a there's a production distribution company called Wave TV that has you know, gone with the ebb and flow of their business, and uh, and they've been able to take uh, content very very similar in many cases to what Barstool has put out there, and and turn that into a production company doing deals with uh, sports media, sports properties to bring their talent and, and create productions and bring their audience. And, and I think that's a really strong case for Barstool going forward. And I wanted to extend it a little bit, Steve, into a recent acquisition from uh, Better Collective when they purchased uh, Playmaker HQ, which, again, kind of similar to Wave, similar to Barstool, with maybe without you know, a, a kind of umbrella brand, the way Barstool has done such a phenomenal job of just building that brand, which is really the essence of Dave Portnoy. But when you take that piece to answer your question around what Amanda said, Steve, when we look at the betting world and content and sports media, and we look at potential places where Erica maybe could bring a lot of value, I look at Better Collective. They have some very interesting assets on the media side, both in North America and in LATAM that they've now purchased. And she has all of that experience building a business. Now she's being handed a bunch of pieces, really the foundation that I believe she has the vision to put together to make Better Collective, under what brand, I'm not sure, some brand TBD, to make Better Collective really a dominant player in the, let's call it the Western Hemisphere media business. You know, one one comment here, Mark, I love that little I don't know if it's a prediction, but that that statement. Um, I, I another comp here that I think is kind of interesting, and it actually falls into that that narrative is Yard Barker. Yard Barker, acquired by Fox, run by Pete Flastelica and and Ben Magan. Magan and team end up going independent and buying it for effectively nothing, as I understand it. Uh, back from Fox, they run it, turn it around, rejuvenate it, make it a profitable business. Uh, Jordan and Jake and the Playmaker team buy them, and then Playmaker gets bought by Better Collective. I mean, like they're 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 really interesting comps for the turnaround of a business that meant something one t- one day and, and means something different the next. I think if Portnoy can separate himself as a per- uh, an individual personality from the Barstool brand over time, then I think it will have life. If, if he can't, then it will gradually go down in relevance as he will. As as a very wealthy individual. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I want to get Mike Day in here quickly because Mike and I kind of have similar uh, backgrounds, albeit on the television and and the print side. But uh, Mike was, I believe, still at TSN when when TSN introduced the Bar Down brand and, and Again, something something different and, and not quite, you know, obviously not quite in barstool territory, but something obviously very different from Sports Center and and the Dave Hodge show. And and again, when I joined Yahoo in uh, 2009, just before the Vancouver Olympics, um, a place where uh, Dave Morgan, who had been the deputy sports at the Los Angeles Times, had gone out and hired a bunch of 
really good sports journalists like like Dan Dan Wessel and Woj and um, and then it also introduced a series of sports blogs that tackled you know tackled news tackled trades but at the same time kind of tackled the the ridiculous and the and the uh, the, the you know hot button and and uh, fun fun stuff and again Mike I think that's that's the tug of war that media companies uh, deal with now is, is trying to find that secret sauce and I think it's it's really difficult if you're a traditional sports network or a traditional newspaper. Yeah, Steve. Well, uh, you know, well said. Good, uh, good question. I'm going to defer on Bardown to Mark. Uh, Bardown was really just starting as I was departing TSN, but uh, I, I can go in a bit of a different direction for you uh, along the same vein, and it would be with page three in ESPN, ESPN.com. Probably one of the first forays uh, of what you're talking about that I remember and that uh, we looked at closely at at, at TSN and, and where all that was going. Hey, Mark, you just want to chip in there on Bar Down? Yeah, I mean, Bar Down was an amazing initiative. We have to always, when we talk about Bar Down, give full credit to uh, to Dave Cricks, who's still running Bar Down amongst everything else that's kind of not studio production uh, around news and not, not live sports at, at, at TSN, plus all these responsibilities he now has to run brands like uh, the old Much Music brand, which is pretty much, I think, a TikTok account. Bardown was really the essence of the personality that TSN had, whether that came through Jay and Dan, you know, on SportsCenter, or the, the way people spoke when they were prepping for shows behind the scenes. And there just wasn't, listen, Mike knows this better than anybody, like, there was no place on tsn.ca for the personality of the brand to come through. And this was 2013, 2014. You know, social media is much different today than it was then. There was no TikTok. I mean, it would have all been on TikTok if, if you had to kind of do it again today. And um, and a full full credit to, to Dave to taking – had no dedicated staff on this brand. It basically – had a bunch of people in all, all parts of the business. They didn't necessarily have to be personalities. And, and he created the essence of the brand, which has really set the bar, uh, not just in this country. There, there are people talking about Barstool that have looked north of the border for inspiration for what they've done. Because what TSN did with Bar Down is truly special. And, and if you look at Sportsnet for a moment, and you think about over the last 10 years, has Sportsnet been able ever to create something like that, that transcends the network. Because if you ask 14-year-old kids who owns Bar Down, you say, oh, Bar Down is TSN. They might have no idea. It's just done such a great job of standing on its own. Uh, great stuff, Mark. Yeah, I'll just, I, I think I got a greater appreciation for covering the lighter side of sports during my time at Yahoo. And again, blogs like obviously Puck Daddy and and what Greg Wyshynski brought to that blog and, and ball ball don't lie. And, uh, you know, that was the motivation for us at Yahoo Canada to create buzzing the net, the junior hockey blog, a 55 yard line on the CFL and an a game to cover the cover Olympics and other Canadian athletes. So, um, you know, definitely, I think definitely there's room for that mix. Hey, Eric, Eric, before we let you go, I'd love to get you again. We mentioned it uh, in the media musing section of the newsletter for our paid subscribers. And that's, the news of 
Diamond Sports Group, which owns the, the Bally Sport Networks and uh, and Amazon having discussions and, and Diamond fixing bankruptcy right now. Again, we we do, you know, even though this show does tend to focus on on gambling, we we do cover sports media issues at time because there is a bit of a spin-off into the the gambling space. Just just some quick thoughts on that. Yeah, listen, uh, it, it's it's the saving grace, right, of of Diamond, of the you know the ownership of of those RSNs. There was rumored to be interest from Amazon in, in in some kind of transaction. I think the way that transpired brings immense value to both sides. So, so I I think it was in, I think it's inevitable. It has been inevitable for a while that. The RSN model needs to transform itself to be, you know, more digitally friendly, and and clearly the streamers are, are gaining a, a ton of traction. Um, so it's a it's a steep, steep, steep discount that Amazon is effectively buying. I believe the number was like fifteen percent uh, with an option to buy, you know, five to to eight percent more with an all in investment just short of two hundred million dollars. You know, that's a, a far cry from the several billion dollars that were paid for those RSNs by Sinclair, you know, a few years ago. So um, it, it says a lot, but nothing new about Amazon's ambitions in, in sports rights. Um, I think there's obviously a lot of conversations going on at the leagues at the league level with Amazon for various media packages and and Amazon just bought itself some leverage I think in those discussions as well um, the, the other thing that is uh, it's just one example to illustrate a broader point but the way um, Apple and messy uh, structured, that you know he effectively gets a vig for all the MLS subs that came in after he was announced. Uh, could be a really interesting model for Amazon to adopt as it considers uh, further investment on the regional level, um, which which that can be quite lucrative. You know, the passionate fans that live in a specific region who follow that particular team. You know, you guys who live in Toronto, like you. You know, you love your Jays. Like you'll pay X amount of dollars a month to watch those games. Amazon knows it. They have access to a broader spectrum and and, and other services. Um, I think you'll see a lot of interesting deals that that end up paying teams what they want to be paid. Maybe not at the same level. You're you know you're currently seeing that ultimately force them to be in such debt. Uh, on the RSN level, but uh, but I think a player like Amazon in introducing new e-commerce and what I would call you know performance or affiliate marketing tactics to justify uh, the spend levels and, and ultimately what what teams are going to want here, what MLB and NHL and NBA will want on behalf of their teams. There's only a few companies that can afford it. Um, so I love it. I think it's smart um, for those who are, you know, uh, want want to watch their teams. Like, at least, at least now it's going to be accessible. 
Hey, Mark, last word to you here. Yeah, it might be more than one word, Steve. I apologize ahead of time. Listen, let, let's let's compare Diamond to Amazon for just a second. You know, Diamond's a broadcaster, distributor. They kind of make revenue in one way in particular, or let's say subscriptions and advertising, very traditional broadcast model. Amazon is a highly sophisticated, diversified business. Lots of revenue streams, B2B, B2C. And I think what's missing in the coverage of this deal with Bally's and Amazon, specifically the coverage coming out of the US, is that there was already a precedent in place. It happened to be here in Canada. We already know that Sportsnet, when initially when they launched Sportsnet Now, you can buy it direct to consumer. That was the first available sports network in Canada that you could buy that way. Sportsnet Plus, as it's called now, is available for purchase inside of Amazon Prime. So, you know, right along other subscriptions like Stars, for example, you can get a subscription to Sportsnet Plus. So, you know, kudos to the folks at Rogers and Amazon for doing something in Canada that marries itself really well to set a precedent for the kind of deal with Bally's and, and Amazon. But I think there are other things going on here. So a couple things. So one is obviously cable and satellite distribution is the traditional way that Bally's would get to the consumer. Other ways were through Fubo TV, YouTube TV. And I think with, so forget about Fubo for a second, small, small, nice, small player, obviously Google, big player, NFL rights. But I think this is Amazon making a big statement, which is like, we want to own the customer and we want to control access to the things that they're passionate about. And let's face it, when you go into the Bally's world, you're getting NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball. You're getting the most dominant sports. I mean, obviously, NFL has bigger audiences. MLS does not. But you're getting three of the five top sports in one fail swoop from, from a, few, a few key markets. And, and when you look at the other business models that are around this industry, in particular YouTube, like YouTube doesn't have or Google doesn't have the diversified consumer business that Amazon has or even that, that Apple has. So a lot of things at play here, really good on Amazon. I think the question that we still can't answer is long-term, who is paying for production of these games? Because that's something that... A lot of us here, uh, Mike in particular, knows the cost of production. And, and I don't think $150 million really solves that problem for all those sports. Mark, to your point there for a second, and, and I think it's a really good one. There's no doubt, even after this deal, that the days of a mid-market team getting you know 20 to $30 million a year guarantee from an RSN, th those years are over. That, that to to make up for that revenue, they will now do different things, and 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 they'll figure it out. You know, there's multiple ways to get that money back. Um, cost of production, I think it's a great point, and I think uh, I think MLB, NHL, NBA, like they're gonna have to. I mean. It, I think it'll this this enables and allows them to reconsider how how they help their teams, uh, and and you'll see I think you know Teambo the team marketing and business operations think tank that that resides within the NBA, which you know I think is one of the smartest organizations in sports. You're you're going to see them add you know ten consultants to that team who are production experts now because they're going to have to advise their teams 
on best-in-class capabilities and efficiencies. So no doubt that is going to become a new narrative. And Mark, I think it's a really great point. Mike Day, you want to chime in here? It's probably a topic for another day, but just along the lines of our sports media and business conversations is we should all be keeping an eye on a potential equity stake purchase into ESPN and ESPN taking over the red zone and NFL network. So uh, lots to keep our, our eyes on, but uh, we could probably discuss that uh, in a future show. Yeah, we will for sure, Mike. There's, I think there's an awful announcing piece out today just on talking about um, concerns around journalistic integrity with an, an ESPN uh, NFL uh, alliance. So there is that. We'll talk about that for sure. Hey, man, Amanda, just just as someone who uh, who watches a lot of Blue Jays games, are you prepared to pony up to Amazon to to watch to watch a Wednesday night game? Uh, I would probably be the wrong person in this household to ask that question uh, to Steve, um, but I know because my husband just has ponied up again for his season tickets. Um, I, you know. I would not be surprised if uh, it's going to have a wide range of games and, you know, like excellent quality. He did buy an 85 inch television for our basement because, you know, apparently what was there before wasn't good enough. So yeah, check, check in with me later and I'll have a more definitive answer for you. I, I, I think you've answered the question. Um, listen, we want to, I want to end the show. I want to get Phil Gray a couple of minutes here. Just again, we didn't get a chance to do it last week. Phil, I would, I would like to get you to talk a little bit about the divisional playoff games and whether it's a, a tip or two or something to watch out for, but uh, yeah, just love to get the last words to you. Yeah. Just one thing on TV deal, Steve, you know, I pay for TSN on, on my cable package and I couldn't watch the Leafs in, uh, in Edmonton the other night because the NHL regional broadcasting. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that needs to change if, if you don't agree. I yeah. Know. The big game coming up, uh, wow, you know, uh, Sunday night, Kansas City in Buffalo, opened at three, flirted with three and a half, which was very surprising, and that came down to two and a half now, Steve. Overwhelming money on Kansas City to go to Buffalo and win. Uh, just that that's that's the big dog of the weekend. The other games are all split, but uh, weather's looking good in Buffalo on Sunday. Minus four and sunny. Uh, I have that game at a pick. So right now you can get Kansas City on the money line at most books. You know, plus 120, plus 125. Uh, homogenous lines out there in the NFL right now. Uh, not like years past where you could line shop, Steve, and go around and get different lines. Everybody's got the same line. The market is uh, solid. Hey, Phil, just quickly, one piece of advice for someone who hasn't done a lot of betting, and again, but love, loves the NFL, and, they'd, and they'd, like to, they'd like to make a couple of wagers during the playoffs. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, what, what do we like to say? Fade the public, Steve. Uh, look at the totals right now on, on all four games uh, coming into the weekend. Uh, just, you know, 80, 90% of, 80 or 90% of the money and tickets, which is the actual number of bets placed, are on the over. So uh, go into a couple of games and try and fade the public and get the under. Great, uh, great stuff. That's, uh, that's Phil Gray, everybody. Uh, listen, thanks. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, just a great show today. Uh, Phil Gray. Amanda Brewer, Eric Hurd of A2Z Venture. They're great to talk to you again and wishing you the best in 2024. Uh, Mark Silver and Mike Day. And again, uh, thanks to Mitch Davidson from iGaming Ontario for hopping on at the top of the podcast. Appreciate the support. Don't forget this podcast does appear on the various platforms. And you can also find us at gamingnewscanada.ca. 
And I will mention once again that uh, that we are in the market for a presenting sponsor for this this program that does attract a lot of attention from the uh, from the gambling industry in Canada every every week. So if you again are looking to promote your brand within Canada, uh, drop us a note, Steve at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Please be safe. Stay uh, stay warm. Where it looks like winter has finally arrived, at least in my part of Ontario. Uh, enjoy your weekend and we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.